Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called Numbers, Preparing for Promise. The book of Numbers gives us insight and warnings for how a covenant people of God should engage with seasons in the wilderness. We will see God's sovereign hand at work over the course of this series as he shaped and molded Israel in preparation for the promised land that awaited them. Although Israel endured many trials and tribulations, oftentimes due to their own sin, the Lord's plan of salvation is at work in numbers as he centers his people on himself. Please turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 20. I'll give you a moment for that if you'd like. We will read verses 1 through 13. If you do not have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of you, and that's our gift to you if you do not have one at home. So in the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. There was no water for the people to drink at the place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into the wilderness, this wilderness, to die? along with our livestock. Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? The land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Moses Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle, where where they fell face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron must take the staff, and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted, Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them to the land I am giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing. Because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. May the Lord bless his reading of this scripture. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brother Ben. I hope that you have physically taken out your Bibles. I say that every week, but um, I want you to see it. I want to cover, kind of get us up to where we are today. And we're almost there. We're in the home stretch of numbers. We're going to fast forward several years, uh, just in a couple chapters, and um, we're going to see where the people of God are now. And I've got to tell you something things have not changed very much. 
Have you ever felt like you're spinning your wheels? I said this a couple weeks ago in the message, but in your faith walk and in pursuing the Lord sometimes, have you ever felt like I'm just going, I feel like I'm working really hard, but I'm not going anywhere? This was the people of God all throughout Numbers. And they found themselves falling into some of the same traps. The very first week, we saw that as they were getting ready to leave, they've they've, um, left slavery. They're at Mount Sinai. God places himself at the center of their lives. They're no longer slaved people. They're free people. But they're God's people. They're no longer Pharaoh's people They're God's people. And this is something they're learning. Uh, Many of us, as we transition from a life, if if you you remember being a new Christian, um, when we transition from a life that is living unto ourselves, a life that is all about us, a life that is dead, and transitioning to the life that Christ brings, um, there are a lot of moments where we have to realize, hey, I don't belong to those things anymore. The old man has died and the new man through Christ has come. Okay, so there is a putting to death of things in our lives. And and so we realized at the very first week that God places himself at the very center. God demands the centrality of his people. And the next week we looked at his presence. And they're about to leave the mountain. They're in the wilderness of Sinai at this mountain where they've gotten the Ten Commandments. Have you ever seen Charlton Heston's movie, The Ten Commandments? Okay. So when I was little, I didn't get to watch cool movies. I got to watch John Wayne and Charlton Heston. Okay. Hey, John Wayne is cool. You hear that? Did you hear that? My wife doesn't think John Wayne is cool. But what? God at the center, his presence, okay? Um, They're at Mount Sinai. They experience his presence. Um, They put the tabernacle at the center of the camp. They, to, to know when to go and come, they follow a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Epic. Epic. I'm not just telling you fairy tales up here. And then last week we talked about doubt and death and how the doubting of God's people led to their death and wandering in the wilderness because they would not put their faith in God. They continually put their faith in themselves. And we're going to find something very familiar to that today. Um, Next week is Coming Home Sunday. We're going to take a break and then come right back to the series the next Sunday. Um, But last week we were in chapter 14 and we saw them doubt God and they get banned to the wilderness. So they're right here at the brink, right? They've made it. And then they doubt God, wish they had gone back to slavery. Why have you brought us out here to die? 
He tells them back in 14, and they said it before that. And then they even said it in Exodus 17. So as far back as Exodus 17, they've been saying, have you just brought us out here to kill us? Have you ever been lost like you were headed somewhere and the GPS just failed you? Or the map? Or the stone tablets? I don't know what you followed. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, maybe you were there when the cloud and pillar of fire, I don't know. Um, but I have been in many a situations where I map quested something. If you don't know what map quest is, Google it. And, or GPS something, and I just land in the middle of the woods, and it says, your location is right here. And I look, and there's nothing. And I think, this is, this, I've watched too much TV, okay? This is when you know you gotta turn Netflix off. I'm like, someone has hacked my GPS, and it's lured me out here to kill me. <laughs> Your mind doesn't go there? Oh. <laughs> Scared to death. This is what the people of God are thinking. They're like, have you brought us out? How long are you going to fool these people? You've brought us out here to kill us. And then they get banned. And so they've made it right to the edge. They've made it right to the goal. And God says, no, for the next 38 and a half years, 40 years total, you're going to wander the wilderness until an entire one and a half million of you, an entire generation dies. And then right after that, in 15, um, he starts giving them some burnt offering laws. I don't have time to go into those. Very interesting. You should go look. But um, basically tells them how they should offer sacrifices to the Lord. And then in 16, epic catastrophe. And we're going to come back to it. But basically, they rebel again. You know what they say? Have you brought us out here to die? Is this like um, Groundhog's Day? The whole book of Numbers is like Groundhog's Day. It's like waking up, same old thing. They complain. Why have you brought us out here to die? And then God has to kill them. God has to bar them. God has to punish them. Because they refuse to look to anyone but themselves. Despite the fact that in the very beginning, God declared himself to be the center. It's called the Korah Rebellion. We're going to come back to that. And, uh, in chapter 17, we see Aaron's staff. Uh, they bring a bunch of staffs. It's a cool process. Uh, they put them all in the Ark of the Covenant, uh, 12 of them, one from each tribe. And Moses says, the Lord said, whichever one buds is the one that I'm giving authority to. Okay, And so they put them all in there, and it was Aaron's staff that buds and gives them some almonds. It sounds weird. Um, but basically, God is saying, my authority is resting with Moses and Aaron. This is where my authority rests. Don't question it. Quit questioning it. I'm going to put their complaining to death. I, there are a few people I know I wish I could put their complaining to death. I pray for it. But this isn't about them. It's about the people of 
Well, maybe it is. I don't know. I hope you're watching. Um, and then in 18, we see priests and Levites get some duties. 19, we talk about water purification. And then we land in 20. Do we have that map? And look, look, I brought this cool thing. Look at this. Look, you see that? Look, watch. You see that? You see that now? See my laser? If you're listening to this on the podcast, you can't. But what I'm showing right here is a map of their journey. And they started right here. They made it to Mount Sinai. They got here and they went around uh, up to here to Kadesh Barnea. They came right up here. And this is where in Kadesh, it's where we were last week, right? We were in Kadesh. And they doubted God and he banned them to 40 years, okay? You're gonna make this circle for 38 and a half years. And today in chapter 20, we find them back here at Kadesh. 38 and a half years later, they're in their 40th year of wandering. And what we're going to find out today here at Kadesh, Barnea, is that God wants more than obedience. He wants it all. God is after more than just your obedience. He wants all of you. That's what we're going to talk about today. So, here we are, chapter 20, verse 1. Um, and you guys can leave that up there if you want. Um, in the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. You remember that name? While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. So, we've landed right up here. And after 38 and a half years in the wilderness... Um, Moses' sister dies, um, kind of marking the last of that generation. So when we're looking here at 20, um, verse 1, they're back again, but we're going to see some of the same patterns. Everybody say pattern. They're back again, some of the same patterns. Look at 2 through 5. There was no water for the people, so there's a problem. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, if we'd only died in the Lord's presence with our brothers, why have you brought us, uh, the congregation of the Lord, into the wilderness to die along with our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. So who are these people talking? Who are these people? I can tell you who it's not. It's not the people from last week. The people last week brought this same, similar complaint. Why did you bring us out here? But the people who brought the complaint last week or 38 and a half years ago, they're dead. They have died over the last 38 and a half years. And so who is saying this? Their kids. Their kids. One and a half million people have died, and these are also a battle-ready people. 
right? The Lord has been training them, and they have been marching and learning how to march and all these things. So these folks are ready to go into battle for this promised land. So this is the people who are coming against Moses and Aaron. If you're picturing this crowd going to Moses and Aaron, it it wasn't. It was a bunch of battle-ready, thirsty, angry people. That's who's approaching Moses. But it's a new generation. And the very first thing I notice about this text is that you are passing on your attitude towards God. I, I hear all the time, I hear all the time, people come to me and say, Pastor, you know, this, this generation, and some of them talk about me. <laughs> yeah. they, they think I don't know. Hey, 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 watch it. I don't need any amens. They say, Pastor, this generation, you know, they're just worthless, you know, they're just lazy. And I'm like, who are their parents? Let me explain something to you. The reason it's like Groundhog's Day, the reason it's on repeat is because this generation, they've watched their parents and grandparents die doing these same things. No matter how many people have died, one and a half million people, 85 people a day, sometimes, um, and we're going to talk about this here in a minute, uh, Upwards of 20, 30,000 people at a time would pass away, die in, not just like at, at J.T. Morrison Sons. I'm talking in horrible ways, plagues, and what we'll talk about here in a moment, the earth opening up and swallowing thousands at a time. This generation has watched it, and despite that, you know what has carried through? Their mom and dad's and their grandparents' attitude towards the Lord and the things of the Lord. When we look at a generation and we sent all these kids out here, and I'm so thankful that we have these volunteers that are teaching these kids the way of the Lord because many of them, and not just the ones in here, but the ones at churches down the street and the ones right up the road, They they get it here, but when they get home, they catch an attitude that says God is less important than every other thing. And people are going to pick up on that. Our kids are going to pick up on that God is for Sundays, but not Monday through Saturday. If your kids don't think church is important and it's like pulling teeth, it is probably because, one, they're sinful and they need Jesus. Number two, your attitude probably is reflected in that. If church and God aren't important, it's not because um, they just came up with it on their own. They picked up something from you. If we run to alcohol and gossip and not prayer and the Lord, our kids are going to do the same thing. 
Here we have the people of God, a brand new generation who have seen all types of failings from their parents will continue the same attitude that, hey, guess what? Work, money, uh, fame, my comfort is more important. My extracurriculars are more important. Everything, I, I'm going to get mad at God when life goes awry because I saw my parents and grandparents turn from the Lord and run from church because they had more faith in themselves. Help us if you don't think this is relevant for today. I feel like it could be Groundhog's Day, September of 2021. We're passing on an attitude towards God and this pattern repeats. I'm gonna start with complaining. Let me seal that conversation up. Parents and grandparents, your kids are paying attention. They are picking up what you're dropping. And can I just encourage you? I know I, know I just kind of... <laughs> you can do it. It can start today. It can start today. I'm preaching to myself. When I, I'm getting ready to go away for a couple nights to plan our spiritual calendar for next year um, based on feedback from our leadership team. And part of my trip is going to be planning my own spiritual calendar for my family. My daughter, Macy, is old enough to pick up if I think church is important, if God is important, if, the th if prayer is important. They're going to pick that up from me. And so I'm going to put just as much intentionality in 2022 with my kids as I am the church. You can do that. Grandparents, don't underestimate your value in your kids' lives. Don't just get upset that, that your kids aren't leading them in the ways of the Lord. You step in and be that presence. Oh, you can do it. It's not too late. It's not too late. But the pattern repeats and they start complaining. Back in 16, hold up. Pay attention. Hold up. Wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe that was from my former life. Um, this story is epic. Epic proportions here. Do y'all remember the Levites? Back from a couple weeks ago? The Levites were the ones who were going to take care of the tabernacle, right? Where the presence of God was. They were going to take it, like put it up, take it down, carry it around. The Levites started a rebellion. The people closest to the presence of God started a rebellion in chapter 16. And it wasn't a small one. It wasn't a small one. The leaders of the Levites and 250 other leaders got together and came against Moses and Aaron and said, what? You ready? Can you, do you know what they said? Your leadership is terrible. Why did you bring us out here? How long are you going to fool these people? Phew. And Moses, Moses was like, guys, I'm, I'm putting this in layman's terms. Don't do this. God is going to respond to this. 
don't come against the Lord. Because at this point, um, not everybody had access to the Lord and his presence like we do now. It was just Moses and Aaron. And those leave it. Don't come against the Lord. And so this rebellion continued. And in chapter 16, what we saw, this complaining turned into such a rebellion, such a turning, that the Lord opened, this is what the Bible says, opened the earth and swallowed. Now, it's an indefinite number here, but estimates of 15 to 20,000 of them. Levites. And then he said, you know what? I'm going to wipe out the rest of them. And so he sent a plague to kill the rest. It got through 14,700 of them. And, and Moses sent Aaron out with a sacrifice. Some incense. And says, hey, go offer a sacrifice to the Lord on behalf of these people. And the Bible, this is such a cool verse. The Bible says that Aaron went out with this sacrifice and stood between the dead and the living and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and it stopped. You know, there, were, there would be a sacrifice to come later in the New Testament that would come right between the living and the dead and pronounce life despite their deserving it you know they deserved it I know we don't like to talk about that because you deserve death as well please don't I, I know this seems so dramatic like, like a dramatic set of events but can I tell you that your sinfulness is just as dramatic and deadly as theirs <clears throat> and then we see them romanticize their bondage. They go, they go on and say, hey, it doesn't have grapes and figs and, and, and pomegranates and no water to drink. Basically saying we should go back to Egypt. It was better there. Oftentimes we can romanticize our former life like it was somehow better. This is the people of God at this point. I like what Warren Wearsby says here. It was a conditioned reflex. Whenever the Israelites faced a difficulty, they complained about it to Moses and Aaron and wept because they hadn't stayed in Egypt. Listen to what he says here. Difficulties either bring out the best in people or the worst. They either mature us or make us more childish. Israel's words and attitudes revealed clearly that their hearts were still in Egypt. What a picture of the professed Christian who still loves the world and turns to the world for help whenever there's a problem. God help us. In verse 6, I love what Moses, Moses and Aaron's response. Watch it. Moses and Aaron in verse 6 you know what they did first? They turned away from the people. Sometimes you need to turn away and pray. 
Turn away and pray. Um, I don't think, I think a lot of us underestimate even the Lord when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane went away when he was facing difficulty and opposition. There is power in going away and it's just you and the presence of God. They turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell, where they fell face down on the ground. Oh, watch this. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. This has happened multiple times. The proper response to difficulty and opposition, you know what it is? A humble face down pleading with the Lord. Prayer is the proper response. And what I love most is that every time it didn't skip a time, every time when they fell face down and prayed to the Lord, you know what the Bible says happens? God meets them there. God, the very presence of God meets them there. I found myself as I was reading over this text praying that God would make me more aware of his presence. And I think many times the way, the reason I can't be aware of his presence is because I haven't turned away from the things that are distracting me. Christians oftentimes will say, I wish I could sense the presence of the Lord more in my life. You ever heard that? You may have thought that. Have you ever felt that way? Man, I just wish I could sense God more. I just wish I could feel his presence. God responds to a humble prayer. God inhabits the praises of his people. We see that in the scripture as well. Um, and, And I think even more so here, when we're more aware of God, we're less concerned with the difficulty. The more aware you become of God, the less difficulty seems so big. Everything is small in comparison to him. Did you know that? I know it's hard from this perspective. Because the things we face, they feel very big. God is bigger That's why he placed his presence at the center of the camp. That's why he placed his presence at the center of their march. That's why he placed the cloud in the sky. That's why it was fire by night. Because God was after more than just their obedience. He wanted their full attention. Does God have your attention? What has your attention today? We even see that in Revelation. When we looked at Revelations last, was it last summer? Yeah, I think it was last summer we looked at Revelations. The point of Revelations was to point their attention towards a God who fulfills his promises and who is victorious and never fails. God wants your attention. Everybody say attention. 
Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Oh, I've got the clock back here. So now he gets the instructions, okay? He's prayed. He was in the presence of God. God gives him some instructions. Are you good at following instructions? No, you are not. I found that even the people who call themselves rule followers like to make the rules. Have you ever noticed that? There's like, there's rule breakers. There's people that just don't care. They're just always pushing the envelope. But even the people who are like, you know what? I follow all the rules. The Apostle Paul was like that at one time. I follow all the rules. And, and, but they also like to make their own rules. Well, Moses gets some instructions and we're about to see Moses have a complete meltdown. Verses seven and eight, we see the Lord appeared to him and he said, you and Aaron must take the staff, assemble the entire community, and as the people watch, speak, everybody say speak, speak to the rock over there and it will pour out it's water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. Three objectives. Get the staff representing his presence and his power. Assemble the whole community. And then speak to the rock. Now this is a familiar story. Uh, what we see in 9 through 11 is actually Moses jacked this whole thing up. He jacks it up. This is what happens when you don't follow instructions. Back in Exodus 17, we see this same story. They're, at Mount, they're in the Sinai wilderness. They run out of water. And now God, who has split the Red Sea, got them out of Egypt, has done miracle upon miracle upon miracle. They're just always concerned whether God's actually going to take care of them in Exodus 17, they have the same issue. We're out here. We've got no water. They're complaining again. We should go back to Egypt. And Moses is commanded to take his staff and strike the rock. Now, what is he supposed to do this time? Speak to the rock. I've always thought it was kind of like maybe... A little unfair for Moses. Like he had done this before. He smacked the rock and water came out. But what we're about to witness is more than just his disobedience. Understand, he wants more than our obedience. Okay? So in Exodus 17, he smacks the rock, water comes out, fills uh, all the people up. Um, and in that instance, he obeyed. In this instance, well, he gets all jacked up. Watch. Verse 9. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Check, right? There's three things. Get the staff, assemble the people, speak to the rock. He gets the staff, right? He's headed in the right direction. Then in verse 10. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Look, he is headed for success. 
He's on the way. And the whole thing derails. Moses lets out a belt. He says, listen, you rebels. Look, and at this point, do you blame him? Do you blame him? Listen, you rebels. He calls it out. Must we, watch this, must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out. Oh, he blew it. And he not only blew it, he blew it big time. Because who was he supposed to speak to? The rock. What does he do out of his anger? He speaks to them. He turns around to the people and he says, you rebels, how long am I, are we, Moses and Aaron, supposed to bring this water to you? And then he takes his staff and he strikes the rock twice because he's ticked off. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 10 from our first week? Do you remember 1 Corinthians 10? 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking about this same experience. And you know what Paul calls the rock? Christ. He said, Christ is the rock. What's it trying to say here? Why is it bad that Moses striked the rock? Because... By striking the rock, he ruined a type of Messiah who gives living water to his people. He only, do you remember, um, I think we've talked about this, one of the very first um, glimpses of Christ in the Old Testament is in Genesis, where it is said, I think it's in chapter three, where it says that um, the serpent will strike his heel. You remember that? If you don't, go look it up. Do you remember what the staff was, the very first miracle with the staff? When they were trying to get 10 plagues, okay, they were, they were trying to get out of Egypt, 10 plagues, the very first miracle Moses did with his shepherding staff was he threw it on the ground in front of Pharaoh. You know what it turned into? A snake, a serpent. And here they are in the wilderness, and here's this rock that's about to provide living water for them. And the very first time in Exodus 17, he strikes with the same staff, the rock. The rock representing Christ and Moses in his anger. He did, he did more than just spoke words of anger to the people. He was supposed to speak life to the rock. He assembled the people. God assembled the people. You know why? To draw their attention towards him. And what did Moses do? Moses took the power of God in his hand, in that staff, and he struck the rock of his own accord out of anger. Why? Because he placed himself in God's position Moses 
took it upon himself to say, I'm a better God. Are you looking for, for me to bring this water to you? Do you hear him? You see, his issue was more than disobedience. He thought he was God. Warren Wearsby actually had a, a note on this as well. But no matter what mitigating causes we might produce, the fact still remains that Moses didn't honor the Lord or obey his orders. By striking the rock, he ruined a type of Messiah who gives water, living water to his people. Our Lord gave himself for us on the cross only once and doesn't have to be crucified again and again. Now, all that believers need to do is speak. And God gives his spirit to them. It's more than an obedience issue. You know what the issue is? You ready? Who's God? Who's God? Moses had determined in his anger that he was God. He put himself in the place of God. And even written on the Ten Commandments that he carried down from Mount Sinai just 40 years earlier was the commandment, there shall be no other God before me. That includes you. You cannot be God. You cannot. In fact, you make a terrible God. Think about it. Who has let you down more than yourself? No one. You make a terrible God. And today, I'm telling you, um, you may think that the, the, the goal of Christianity and the Lord living in your life is to get you to obey laws. No, the point of Christianity is to draw our attention to God. The point of Christ dying on the cross to give you new life was not so you could go to heaven. It was so that our attention would go to the Lord. God is always after us glorifying him. How we respond, <laughs> how we respond to difficulty will reveal who your God is. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but let me tell you something. Hey, parents, grandparents, your kids are watching how you respond to difficulty, and it will tell them who God is. So what happened? So Moses disobeys. There's this really cool picture from Exodus 17 that I don't have time to cover 
So he strikes the rock. Water comes out. And then in verse 12 it says, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I'm giving you. This place is known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord. And there he demonstrated his holiness among them. What's the repercussion? I was always taught growing up when, when they, I, I heard this story a lot growing up in Sunday school. I was always taught this. This is what happens when you disobey the Lord. Okay? This is what happens when you disobey the Lord. So you better obey the Lord. You better obey your parents. You better walk the line. Don't you cuss. Don't you drink. Don't you do this. Don't you do that. Look, they, we, look, I come from the holiness church, okay? I come from the church of God, Pentecostal. We're holiness people. You better walk the line in a holiness church. Let me tell you, no grace for you. You're going to hell, okay? Most of you anyway. And listen, I'm not knocking it. Because let me tell you something. There is a holiness, a set-apartness that you're supposed to have as a Christian. Most of you are just managing your sin, No, God's calling us to put it to death and be the holy people he's called us to be. Be holy, for I am holy. So look, don't knock holiness. We're going to preach holiness around here. But here's what they missed in telling me. That my number one sin issue is going to be placing myself in God's seat. That's all of our number one issues. And so Moses' punishment was that now they had just gone 40 years. Look, (laughs) I feel bad for Moses. He's been putting up with this for 38 and a half years. But it was more than an obedience issue. It's a who is God issue. And as we get ready to close, that question is ringing in my mind. Who is God? Who is God? Who's the God of your schedule? If I looked at your daily planner, your schedule for the week, working or retired, I don't care. Who's God? Am I saying you need to be in your prayer closet 24-7? No, he's called us to be in the world, but not of it. But I would say if we looked at most of your lives and I was to play back last week, okay? I had a video roll of your last week. I guarantee you, you were God more than God was. Why was Moses barred? God wanted his holiness on display, and Moses wanted the spotlight. Moses wanted to take that place. 
can I point something out to you? What was God's response to all this? What was God's response to all this wickedness and rebellion? We see it in verse 11. Moses raised his hand, struck the rock twice, and water gushed out. So, it continues, the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. You know when God's going to be God? All the time. And it is not God's being God. God's godness is not dependent on your obedience. Here's, we see God's response right here. You ready? Abundant grace. Those people did not deserve the water. Moses' disobedience did not deserve an answer. His, this, this rock should not have shot water forward because the people were rebelling and disobedient. Moses and Aaron were disobedient and rebelling. And what does God do? He gushes it out of the rock till everyone had their fill. You know how much water that was? They say, this is all guesstimates, right? I read somewhere where it said um, to, to water that much livestock and that many people to their fill, we're talking about 5,000 gallons a minute. This wasn't a little brook coming up out of this rock. He lavished. He poured it out over and above and beyond abundantly, abundantly, abundantly. Why? Because he, in verse 13, there he demonstrated his holiness. He's different. He's set apart. He's God all by himself. And his grace was sufficient despite the rebellion. I've come to tell you today, his grace is sufficient for you despite your wickedness. Hear me, sinner. Hear me, person who has never made Christ the Lord of your life. There is nothing. There's no sinfulness in your heart, no rebellion you have been a part of that his grace will not abundantly and sufficiently cover. It's right here in the text. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you at your very worst. I didn't get that. Could you try again? All right, we need to pray and get out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm all freaked out now.
we do successes and opportunities at our staff meeting, and I guarantee you somebody's going to say, hey, pastor, maybe you shouldn't wear your watch on stage anymore. Siri doesn't like it. I was praying about how to close today, and that wasn't part of it. find myself wondering how many of you are going to leave today, you're going to walk right back out of those doors, asking the same question that Siri just asked. What was that? I didn't get you. Many of you are going to do that today. You checked out during the service in your own rebellion today. And here's my comfort. Here's my comfort. His grace is sufficient for you too. I remember, and I know we're running a few minutes past. I remember Israel seemed to have forgotten what they were brought out of. Can I tell you, I remember today. And even day in and day out, the Holy Spirit reminds me of my wickedness and my need for Christ. You know, the Word tells us that His grace and mercy that story has not changed. His grace will pour out over top of you until you are full. That's been my prayer today. As we get ready for coming home Sunday next week, my prayer is that this room is filled with unchurched people who need Jesus and that they hear from this pulpit this very message and you may need to hear it today Jesus Christ is the rock he will pour out the living water over top of every dark crevice of your soul and make you brand new so that instead of like Moses saying oh praise the name of Moses we would say, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, that our lives would be mirrors of his grace. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time to, together today in your word. And my prayer right now, Father, is that for those in this room who have forgotten what you have brought them out of, their Egypt, would you remind them today 
that they can turn it all over to you. They can, in this moment, in this service, surrender every wicked part of their soul to you and you will put it to death and cover it with your grace. For those who don't know you and have not surrendered their life to you, God, I pray right now that they would confess to you that they're a sinner and declare you today, Lord, and turn to you, God, declare you Lord of their life. Whether here or online, I'm excited and anticipating the move you're going to have, not only in this service, but in next week's service. So help us today to lay it before you, to give it over to you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.